For our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to the gospel according to John and chapter 3. We'll read the first 21 verses, John chapter 3. chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deed should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. This far, our scripture reading this morning, and as we are considering the keys of the kingdom, I would also like to read from Lord's Day 31, uh, the second question, at question number 84. You can find it on page 64 in the back of your Psalter.
page 64, and Lord's Day 31, I'll read question 84. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? Thus is the answer, when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent, that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation as long as they are unconverted, according to which testimony of the gospel God will judge them both in this and in the life to come. So dear congregation, this morning we'd like to consider this passage in John 3, uh, continuing from last week, the theme of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Last week we described what they were, and today we'll focus specifically on the one key, the preaching of the gospel, the key of gospel preaching. That's our theme this morning. And we have three thoughts or three headings, and I wrote the key word in the bulletin. And the first one is that it's required. The key of gospel preaching is required. And it's required for the purpose to declare initially that the gates are closed. Romans 10 says, How shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they believe if they have not heard? So as we've heard, considered a few weeks ago, the preaching is required for the salvation of sinners. Now when you think of the gospel, the gospel is not simply an explanation, but it's a declaration. And God begins by declaring that everyone, every one of us, has been born outside of the kingdom of heaven, and it declares to everyone as they are born into this world that those gates are firmly shut. That's what the key declares. In a, in a time of the Bible, when the Bible is written, we spoke about the gates last week. If someone would come to the gates and they were a citizen of that city, the gates would be open for them. They could go in after working in the field for a long day, they could come home to their own houses and to their own families. But if the enemies would come, they would quickly shut the gates. The enemies would be locked out. And so it is to everyone who comes to the gates of heaven. Initially, they find them closed. And that's because these gates were closed when Adam and Eve sinned against God in paradise. That's when they were banished outside of the garden, and there the angels were set up with a flaming sword going every which direction, that if anyone tried to go back in, they would be killed by the watchman. Revelation 21, verse 27 says of the new heavenly Jerusalem that there will by no means enter anything into it that defiles, or anything that causes an abomination, or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If we examine our own hearts, we have all lied. We have all believed the lie of Satan. We've all been defiled. We've all caused an abomination because all sin is loathsome in the eyes of God. 
God who cannot look upon sin. And so these gates are closed because we're not born a citizen of heaven, but born as children of wrath, Ephesians 2 says. That means enemies of God. Enemies have to be locked out. And so Jesus declares here in verse 3 that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, who is he saying this to? Well, he's not just speaking to an openly sinful man here walking in his days. He's speaking in verse 2. It says, a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a man who devoted his whole life to learning about God and about his word and law. He's a man who knew of the promises of the coming Messiah. He's a man who thought he was going to heaven. He was a Pharisee who would likely pray like the one that Jesus gave example of, thanking God that he was so much better than, say, a tax collector or other sinners. He's a man who prided himself in working so hard to please God. This man, it says, he came to Jesus at night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless, you are God, unless God is with him. Maybe he's starting to realize that even though everything he knows, he, he doesn't have that same power that Jesus does. And Nicodemus, he could explain a lot of things. He could explain a lot of the doctrines and a lot of details about who God was. He's theologically correct in his statement here that no one can do these signs unless God is with them. But Nicodemus didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Jesus declares in verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are born again, you will not truly understand anything that you are studying. As long as you rely on your own efforts, when your own rules and regulations, those doors, those gates of heaven are shut. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 11 that they hinder you from entering and you also hinder others from entering if this is what you're teaching them. Now, how is Nicodemus any different from us who have been raised in a church and have learned all these doctrines and can know so much? Now, Paul says in Romans 3, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and there's none that is righteous, no, not one. And to enter those gates of heaven, you need to be perfect, not a single sin. In a different time, it also made the disciples ask, Lord, and who then can be saved? But to that reply of the disciples, the Lord Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It was really beyond our explanation. Nicodemus asked in verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? With all his learning, he could not explain what this means. He could not even understand how a person could be born again. This is something that must happen to us. To be born again is not something you do yourself, but it's something that, must, that happens to us. And it leaves... Nicodemus perplexed, how then can a person be saved? 
And so Jesus again responds here with the divine declaration in verse 5. He answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He really makes a divine distinction here between those of you who enter into the kingdom and those of you who remain outside the kingdom, outside those gates. In verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. First John 3 calls them children of God or children of the devil. We've all been born in the flesh. We've all been born into this world as human beings. That's in the flesh. But we need to be born spiritually. So Jesus says, do not marvel at this. Do not marvel, in verse 7, what I say to you, you must be born again. Do not be so amazed or perplexed, even though it leaves you without that ability to explain it. It's the work of the Spirit of God. Have you ever wondered how those gates can be opened for you? Have you ever come to the point to see that you cannot open those gates yourself? Have you ever realized that those gates had to be locked when you came? That when you come to God, you can expect nothing else but the gates to be closed because there's enmity in your heart. A liar, a deceiver, a traitor, an adulterer, a murderer, disobedient, rebellious to the king, why would he let you in? If he did, he would have to cast you out immediately. And so we're left with the jailer saying, what then must I do to be saved? Well, secondly, the key of the gospel is provided. The key of the gospel is provided to declare how those gates are opened. Nicodemus asks again in verse 9, How can these things be? What is the gospel saying that we must be born again? But Jesus says in verse 11, Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I told you heavenly things? See, the gospel is not just a description, not just an explanation, not just a description, but it's a divine prescription. Jesus says, you have not received our witness. The gospel prescription must be received by faith. Here, Nicodemus was a man who studied the Old Testament. The Old Testament that showed him of the need to be redeemed. The Old Testament that, where Jeremiah says we need a new heart. The Old Testament that shows us a need for a mediator like Moses to stand between God and us because we cannot keep the law. It shows like the people of Israel could not keep the law. But it did not bring Nicodemus to a place of repentance. It did not bring him to a place of faith in the mediator. If we have never repented of our sin, if we have never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then we still do not understand either. And we still ask the question, how can this be? 
Nicodemus studied all these things, and he did not receive them. He did not believe the testimony of Jesus here, or how the Scripture spoke of the Lord Jesus. But Nicodemus is still trying to open those gates by his own works, and by his own ability, and by his own wisdom. And if we cannot even believe or understand that we can't save ourselves, that we can't make ourselves be born again, that we need a new heart, how can we even begin to understand what God would ever do in heaven? Verse 12, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? But what a wonder in verse 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Christ was in heaven, and Christ was given by God to this earth to, to reveal the way of salvation, to show blind sinners the way, and not only to show, but to be the way. Jesus Christ was given to be the way of salvation. And Jesus here, he describes how a person is to be born again, how he's to be born into that kingdom, because those gates, you know, are open to citizens. If you're a citizen of the city, the gates open for you. And so Jesus uses this Old Testament story, which Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you go back to Numbers 21, it describes our that Israel, the covenant people of God, as they were being led through the wilderness, they rebelled. They complained. They turned against God and against Moses. They complained of the manna that was raining down from heaven. They were complaining about the lack of water. They complained that God had even taken them out of Egypt. And so God sent fiery serpents, poisonous snakes that came and bit the people, and they began to die from the venom. So the people then realized their mistake. They confessed to Moses and said, intercede for us. Be a mediator for us. And so Moses went and interceded for the people. And then God commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And here God's heavenly prescription that he gave was if anyone was bitten, that when they would look at that serpent on the pole, they would be healed and they would live. Now, can you describe to me how that worked? How it was possible that by simply looking at a bronze serpent, the venom in your body would stop its effect and you'd be healed? Very likely, that's what many of the people wondered. How, how is that going to help me? I've been bitten by a snake. And you wonder how many people did not look and ended up dying because they refused to look because they did not receive the testimony or believe the word and the witness of Moses that he gave. How can looking at a bronze serpent heal me? You think, I need anti-venom. I need the doctors of Egypt. I need a different help. But those who were aware that they were dying looked because they believed what Moses said. They didn't inquire about how God was going to do that, but they looked and they lived. God cured them. There they received new life from the dead because they believed what Moses said, 
even though they did not, did not fully understand how God did it. And so there's something we can learn here. That even though Israel was God's covenant people, they had to learn that it was by faith alone that they would make it through that wilderness and into the promised land. And so it is for us. They learned to know that God is the one who healed them there in the wilderness. And now Jesus says, the heavenly prescription that he gives to you and me for our sin-sick soul is our souls that are barred out of heaven. In verse 14, he says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have to learn that even though we might be called a covenant people of God, it is by faith alone in Jesus Christ that you will make it through the wilderness of this life and into the gates of eternal glory, into the gates of heaven, by faith in Christ alone. You are born again when you look to Christ by faith alone. Even though we can't understand how it is that God works so mysteriously with His Holy Spirit to open the hearts of Lydia, to save the hearts of sinners, to make dead sinners alive, to stop that sin from coursing through your veins, to make life out of the dead. But he says, look, as Moses lifted up that serpent on the pole, now look to the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be healed. Yes, Jesus does give us a description. Christ came down from heaven to earth. And just like this bronze was shaped and molded into a form of a serpent and put on a pole to represent the curse, that curse of the deadly venom that they were infected with that was killing them, the cause of their death. So Jesus was made into the form of a man. He was hung on a pole to rep represent the curse of sin, to take that curse, the cause of your death. Our death came as a result of being bitten by that, that lying serpent, Satan, in, in, in paradise. Here the Israelites, they disobeyed God, and they did not trust him in, in Him, and their punishment was death as a result of this poison. We have disobeyed God by nature. By, in Adam, we did not trust God, but believed the lie of the devil, and the punishment is death. The punishment is barred out of heaven forever. And every sinner lies dying in the wilderness of this world, awaiting that time of their departure into eternal darkness. But then comes Jesus with the divine prescription, and he says that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is a prescription that comes because of a divine declaration that he made that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. There God declared that sin had been paid for, that curse had been taken and, and removed and cast away. For Christ died under that curse as he took that punishment for his people. 
And now God declares that Christ has accomplished this salvation. He has removed that curse. Christ is the remedy, and Christ is the physician. And so as Israel was to look at that serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man was now lifted up on the cross, that whoever believes in Him should not, have, should not perish but have eternal life. This is what God determined in heaven, to be the means for your salvation. Can you understand it? There's nothing that you can bring. There's nothing you can do to open those gates. In fact, if we try to bring everything, it's just more reason to keep those gates shut. But Jesus Christ has opened those gates. These gates cannot stay closed for rightful citizens and heirs. You remember last week, and Christ, He entered these gates in His humanity as well as His divinity, in His human nature, on behalf of His people, as the head of His church. He entered these gates, throw open wide the gates of righteousness. He said, He lets Him enter in. The King of righteousness shall enter in. And now these gates of heaven are held open for all who look to Christ by faith. Because by faith you are born again, born as citizens of heaven and rightful heirs of the inheritance to enter in. And those gates are then held open and no man can shut them because Christ has opened them. It's for this reason, he says, Christ was sent into this world, verse 17, not to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. But then thirdly, the key of gospel preaching is effective. It's effective to declare if those gates are now open to you or not. And again, we have to go back to the divine declaration of condemnation. It's effective to declare that these gates are still closed to all unbelievers. Verse 18, it says, He who, in the second line, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Whoever did not look at that bronze serpent in the wilderness was condemned already. They were already bitten, they were already dying, and for them not to look meant certain death. It's not difficult to understand that. Any of us can probably explain it, that when you're bitten by a venomous snake and you do not get treated, you will die. It's not difficult to describe, maybe, how it works. The poison will course through your veins. You, you'll be, notice the swelling in your limbs. Maybe your, your breathing will become labored and, and stop. Your heart will stop. You'll die in excruciating pain. We understand many of these earthly things. But do we understand the heavenly? Because one thing is certain, that unless, until Christ returns on this earth, Everyone will die. And he who does not believe is condemned already. You are already dying. Young people usually don't feel it, but once you get 25, 30, you begin to feel the effects of, of our dying body, that one day 
As the grass of the field withers, so we perish, we wither away. It's an earthly description. But spiritually, you are dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. The physical dying is only the effects of the spiritual death because God said the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. And in a way we can describe it. Sin gets worse and worse. We see the hardening of hearts. We see the enmity, the hatred, the bitterness against God, the rebellion in children or in people against God. There's stealing, there's lying, there's adultery, there's murder. And that's why people who grew up in a church like Nicodemus might eventually leave. The great apostasy, God said, is coming. Why did it leave? It's because they were never born again. They, were, they never had the life of faith in them. Spiritually, they were still dead. There never was life. Condemned already, then means you'll be cast out of God's sight into hell, into eternal torment. It means you'll be forever poisoned by the serpents with no remedy and no escape. Condemned already. And Jesus declares now that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ now, you are already condemned. You lie outside of the gate, and there's no other hope, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Jesus said that if he shuts the door, no man can open and Jesus said, he's a judge, ready to judge the, the living and the dead. And so if you need to go home today and do not yet believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not re yet repented of your sin, go home and write on a piece of paper, condemned already. Look at that every few moments in the day, condemned already. It's a divine declaration not just an explanation or description of your life. It's a declaration from God, condemned already, a legal declaration. It carries the weight and authority of the judge, the judge of heaven and earth, because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you need more description, Jesus gives it in verse 20. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. In verse 19, you love darkness rather than light. If you live in sin, if you practice evil, if you don't want to come to Christ to be healed, if you don't want this healing, you don't want to be exposed for your sins, you'd rather continue in it. You want to live in darkness? Condemned already. But Christ sees it all. And that's why he can say condemned already. Our deeds are open before him before whom we must give an account. And this is why Jesus declares you must be born again. Born of the Spirit. And so he says look to Christ. Even as Moses called the people to look to the serpent. This is the solution. And even here we can stumble can't we? We could be tempted to look to the Egyptian medicines to, to heal us. Or, or, or you, th you think, I need this or that remedy. 
You think, well, maybe I need to obey the law more like Nicodemus. I need to get rid of some of these sins first before I can come to Christ. First, I need to get some of this poison sucked out, and then I'll have more energy to go to God. No, look, and then the poison will be mediated by Christ. It'll be taken away. Maybe you think, well, I need to pray more. I've not been very diligent. I need, I need to crawl a little closer to this bronze serpent. No, look, and then you'll have the healing to come closer to God. Maybe you think, well, first I need to inspect the serpent more to see if it's truly like the one that bit me. Maybe, how does it compare? No, first look. And then admire the wonder of salvation that God has made so suitable to your needs for your salvation. Maybe you think, well, I don't quite trust that I should see if it works in, in someone over there who's bitten. No. How long do you have to live? Because right now you are condemned already. You don't know if you wait any longer, if you still have the chance to look. Look now. Maybe you have to think, well, does this really apply to me? It says whoever, but isn't there a qualification? No. Then look now, and then begin to marvel after that God would heal someone even like me. Maybe you have to think, well, is this promise really true? Does it apply? No. Look first, and then worship God for His faithfulness, because He's the unchanging God of heaven and earth who cannot lie whose promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Or then some people might be tempted to say, well, have I really looked long enough? Well, then we need to ask with verse 21, he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Is, does, does our looking to Christ draw, him, draw us closer to God to expose our sins, to say, heal me, wash me, and cleanse me, and make me clean? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Because then, here God declares for those who look to Him that the gates are now held open to all who believe. Whosoever looks to, to Christ will be healed He declares in verse 18 that he who believes in him is not condemned. Legally not condemned. 1 John 5 also says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Everyone that looked at the bronze serpent was healed immediately. The venom no longer had any power over them to kill them. No longer were they condemned to death. And there were no questions asked. There were no qualifications required. No amount of time they needed to be sick first, either just bitten or nearly dying, so so close to death they could hardly lift their eyes. But if they could look at that serpent, they'd be healed. The command was look and live. And the person who looks to Jesus Christ now will live. Born again, with a look of faith, Lord, save me. Born again, healed, made alive from the dead, no longer locked out of heaven, no longer has God of any legal accusation against you, no longer any condemnation because that has been removed in Christ. He who believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned. By looking to Christ in faith, God then looks to you in Christ. And what does he see in Christ? 
he sees perfection. He sees a perfect righteousness. He sees a perfect obedience. He sees a curse removed. He sees a citizen in heaven, born again as children and heirs with Christ, born again and a citizen of the kingdom of God, to whom the gates rightfully are opened. And if Christ has opened those gates for you, no man can shut them. And if that is you today, if you have looked to Christ, you can go home and write, not condemned. Children and citizens of heaven, children of God, to whom no one can bar you out, to whom no one can shut those gates if Christ has opened them. And so Christ declares these two ways to you today. Where are you? And where will you be when you die? Amen.